You probably already noticed on the wall behind me, it doesn't suit quite so much the weather this evening, but we're going to talk about rain. It is true that we have been blessed considerably over the last several days, even perhaps the last week and a half or so, with an abundance of rain, at least in portions of our, of our community. But nonetheless, we aren't really going to discuss meteorology per se, but rather, with your Bible in hand, we will notice at least a sampling of passages that have much to say about rain. In fact, it might be a bit of, of a comforting thing to you to notice. We're going to discuss seven lessons tonight as it relates to rain. But as we do that, some of them will be rather brief. Some of them will, in fact, be tied together in a way I hope that will make it more memorable. And therefore, maybe we'll never quite think about rain in quite the same way maybe we have to this point. Might we begin by reflecting upon the blessing that's ours to assemble for the purpose and the cause we are. The psalmist, for instance, declared in Psalm 29, 2 about the blessedness and the beauty coming, of course, before the Lord in worship. As we have done that this evening, we're going to, perhaps as you notice on that slide, at least think about rain. God has so orchestrated matters to where there are many particulars of weather that are a common part of our observation. Everything from thunderstorms, which involve lightning and rain, and of course thunder, but also there's fog and there's hail and there's snow and there's even sunshine. And it would be easy to preach, I suppose, on nearly every one of them, but I selected rain this evening. And as I made that selection, I didn't know what the weather on this Sunday evening would be like, but regardless what the weather's like, the Bible still says the same thing that it does. And so with your Bible in, in, in ready accessibility, I hope you'll turn with me to a few passages and be reminded of at least a few particulars that should be rather pertinent lessons about rain. Like I said, I hope we'll never quite look at it the same way again. Let's begin like this. First of all, one of the first lessons, perhaps, that comes to your mind and mine has to do with the necessity associated with rain. That necessity will begin for us as we look at verses such as Isaiah 55, verse number 10. There, as the God of heaven, through the prophet, brought such a powerful lesson to the folks of that day, he reminded them that rain is a necessary ingredient for the ongoing livelihood of the matters you and I appreciate so easily. Plants, grasses, you name it. Even, of course, the matter of life itself, animal life as well as human life. We understand. Our biology friends will tell us quickly that look at what happens if you do not have a sufficient rainfall. You have a desert. Maybe you and I can contemplate the Sahara Desert the Gobi Desert, various other desert areas upon the earth, and you appreciate the barrenness that's there, and you appreciate the lifelessness attached to it. In addition to that text in Isaiah, in Isaiah 44, verse 14, just a few chapters earlier, another reminder about the nourishing characteristic of rainfall. There the passage is not so much mandating the necessity of it as it describes the blessed beauty that goes with it, the nourishing character of what that rainfall brings. Is it any wonder? The next matter of observation on that slide 
takes us to Isaiah 45, verse 18. It goes without saying that the planet upon which you and I live, this planet that we recognize and call Earth is so special. And among the reasons that make it so is the reality of, the abundance of, the occurrence of rainfall. Are you aware of the fact that there are other planets for which there's some means of precipitation that falls from the sky, but it is not like Earth's precipitation? There are planets on which that which falls is basically what you and I would call battery acid. Can you imagine it? Can you imagine the kind of thing that must be the case on the surface of such a planet if acid like that abundantly falls from its sky? Aren't we reminded of how special, how providentially put in place the planet Earth is, and yet rain is a reminder, the refreshingness of it, and the benefit that it affords. One last matter on that slide will be the last one, perhaps, to point in place, because it'll point us to the next lesson. I just mentioned that there are other celestial bodies for which there is a kind of precipitation, but it is not like the planet upon which you and I live. I wonder the cause for that. The provision of God. That is to say that even those matters that perhaps you and I can take for granted, like the occurrence of rainfall, and yet there's a remarkable design involved in the reality and in the occurrence of it. Look with me at some verses that in fact touch upon that particular subject. I would call to your attention Job 5, verse 10. Now, in this instance, could I draw your attention to the fact Job was not the spokesman in Job chapter 5. It was one of those friends that came to him to offer at least some means of comfort while he was in the midst of the difficulties he was facing. Those three friends that came, one other was named Eliphaz, and in this chapter, Eliphaz makes the comment. Almost parenthetically, Job, aren't you aware that the rain that we appreciate, God made it? He provided it. He made it a reality. And as Eliphaz made that statement, you and I might even in passing appreciate, well, obviously that's so. But with that in mind, go ahead and look at the next one. This time it's God who does the speaking, and particularly in Job 38, verse number 26. That chapter began with a series of questions which God asked of Job. And one by one, over that chapter and the next two, roughly 50 questions or so are asked. And isn't it interesting, one of them, Job, are you able to cause the rain to come? And of course, the message to be known in regard to all of them is, God knows the answer to every question He asks. Job didn't know very many of the answers. You and I today live... So many millennia this side of that text, we still don't know all the answers. But God did, and God does. But didn't He also there say, Job, I can make the rain come, can you? Who among us can cause it to rain when we want it to? We know that's not within our capacity. It is not within our capability. It is within God's. That provision leads me to ask you to note this text in Psalm 147, verse 8. Echoed later in Jeremiah 10, verse 13. 
in those two passages, one more time with regard to the occurrence of rain. We have the prophet Jeremiah in that latter one highlighting the fact that the entirety of that water cycle is due to the provision of, the design of, that which God made possible. Science has learned much about the hydrologic cycle since the 17th century. Our scientists who have studied much, and there are those today who can go and get a Ph.D. in meteorology, in climate studies, in other features connected to earth science. And yet, what they learn is what God has already said in many of its particulars. It's a beautiful thing to appreciate the majesty of clouds, the rain that can come from them, and the benefit that that affords to the surface of the planet. The lesson that's number three. In addition to these first two, could I draw your attention to this one? Not only is it true that the rain is, of course, that which God provides, but it should not go unnoticed by us. I say it that way because of these verses we're about to consider. I entitled it, A Witness for God. Would you go ahead and be turning with me to Acts 14? It's only verse 17 in that chapter that will draw our attention. Acts 14, verse number 17. To prepare you slightly for that which we're about to read, Paul, of course, was laboring on the first missionary journey. He had arrived at a section of what we'd call Asia Minor. And as he preached with such power, and as he preached with such directness in the midst of people who were bothered by idolatry, he made a distinction between what those idols can do and what God has done. And verse 17 reads like this, Nevertheless, He, that's God, left not Himself without witness, there's our word, in that He did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons filling our hearts with food and gladness. Among the matters we can see is Paul said, The God whom we serve has not left Himself without witness. He has given matters that testify to His existence and that shout loudly that He is. And among those things, He listed rain. Rain is a witness for God. Whenever we see it, we ought to be reminded of the One who made it possible, the One who gives it, and the One who designed the system whereby that is the consequence of it. It is a witness for God. Not only in Acts 14, 17, I might ask you to remember that in Jeremiah 14, 22, in that day of the Old Testament, as the prophet Jeremiah so powerfully and directly preached on behalf of God, he pointed out there that in many ways, to those who were idolaters, it must have been almost humorous. Let me paraphrase it. You might remember Jeremiah was laboring at a time when idolatry was troubling the people mightily. These false individuals would insist upon the, in, the reality of these false gods, these idols that the people needed to serve, and one of them was called the Queen of Heaven. Jeremiah had the directness to ask this question. I tell you what, you pray to them and see if they can make it rain. Obviously they couldn't. A false god can't make it rain. And Jeremiah said, the God of heaven can. 
And you and I appreciate that as simple as that sounds, it nonetheless should never cease within us to be a wonderful lesson every time we see that rainfall and appreciate the blessing and benefit of it. Might we always remember to appreciate upward the one who made it so, rainfall. That's three lessons so far, four more to go. The fourth lesson is this one. Not only does the Bible teach us in these things we've studied so far about God's consideration, His design of, His provision of rain, these next verses are going to be such that the perspective is different. It's not so much that they teach He causes it, but they teach He controls it. I've asked you to appreciate in Isaiah 5 verse 6, Early on in the labors of that noble messianic prophet Isaiah, you remember that as God spoke through him in that chapter, many things highlighted about the thought processes of the people. And sometimes it was quite frankly rather wrong. But early in that chapter, rain was used to remember, don't you know that God controls this? Clearly, those who live in an agricultural society like ancient Israel did, they were dependent upon the rain. And for them, that was a mighty lesson. God controls it. That text in Isaiah 5 verse 6 is echoed in Amos 4 verse 7. There, a different prophet teaches a very similar message as he brings to their appreciation the control that God exhibits over the rainfall. I chose those two to start that discussion because these next ones are likely much more familiar. And they pose a, a passage, a set of lessons that are indeed rather profound. May I turn to your attention, 1 Kings 17, 1. You remember it well. The prophet Elijah was the man on center biblical stage at the time. Fascinating. Ahaz was, of course, on the throne and... You remember the evil that came about with he and Jezebel. But with that man Ahab and the labors which he set forth, what do you remember about the rain? What did God command concerning not only the rain but even the dew? I'm sure it's the same at your house as it is where Denise and I live. Sometimes these dews in the morning are so thick... The grass doesn't dry until 1 or 2 o'clock in the afternoon. God told Elijah, I'm going to withhold the rain and the dew for over three years. Who controlled it? If God said He was capable of withholding it, and He did. And later on, isn't it true that the New Testament writer James points us back to this in James 5, 17 and says, Don't you remember that for three and a half years it didn't rain? Because, of course, that was the reality of the will of God. What a lesson for the people who were given to idolatry. and What a lesson for both Jezebel and Ahab. But have you ever, have you ever thought about the convicting lesson that was to Elijah? He prayed that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't. Have you ever been so thankful when God answered your prayers? When He heard what you petitioned, and He gave you what you asked for, it is a masterful thing to appreciate the goodness, the, benef the beneficent hand of God. 
The rain reminds us God's in control of things like that. And yeah, He isn't in control of all of this universe. One last point on that passage would be not only that example of Elijah, but might you remember with me that in that passage in James 5, what was the point of mentioning Elijah? What was James's point in mentioning that? Because he was writing in New Testament times. His point was this. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And it's in that context he referred back to Elijah and said, Don't you realize that Elijah prayed that it wouldn't rain and it didn't? Today, when you and I pray for healing, when we pray for our nation, when we pray for our families, when we pray for the church... May we appreciate the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous person will avail much. The rain reminds us of that truth. Lesson number five. What else might we see as we come near the bottom of that slide? This one a bit lengthier, but how potent. A cloud without rain. We have focused so far on rain. The occurrence of it, that which is its existence. But at this point in time, you and I remember there are other Bible verses that make reference to clouds without rain. I included them because that too is meaningful. And that too, in fact, has much to say. What is the lesson that might be a blessing to you and me in regard to a cloud that does not have rain? May I invite us to perhaps think of it like this. I'm sure we've all been in circumstances when, in some summertime situation, we are in need of some rainfall. The garden is struggling. The lawn is struggling. Other things, perhaps, are greatly beginning to suffer due to the lack of rain. And in the distance, there is a dark cloud. It might even be to the west, and we and I might get excited that it's coming our way. The minutes turn into a half an hour, which turns into an hour, and either the cloud evaporates or it moves in a direction north or south of here and it does not come to us. Clouds without rain. That can be so disheartening, so disappointing. It can be so hollow in the sense that what we hoped it would bring, it did not bring what we cherished and thought that it would make available and possible, it did not bring about. It is that idea that the Bible uses. Would you be turning with me to 2 Peter chapter 2? There we find this very passage, or at least the very mention of it. And I'm going to just read a couple of the verses. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse number 17 reads like this, These are wells without water. Clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. Now there's a similar passage in Jude. Be turning with me to the little one chapter book of Jude as you listen to this reference. I'll begin reading in verse number 12. These are spots in your feasts of charity when they feast with you, Feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water. Carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth without fruit. Twice dead, plucked up by the roots. 
What did Jude mean in referring to a cloud without water? I invited you to consider a moment ago, again, that disappointment. The fact that here was a cloud who had all the appearances of providing what one needed, and yet it didn't. Both in 2 Peter 2 and in Jude, the, con- the conception is very much the same. There's a circumstance where there are individuals who you would hope would provide something, but they don't. He's talking about false teachers. He's talking about those who might preach a great message, but that which they preach is hollow. It's empty because it doesn't have this in it. They speak great swelling words. Oh, they can talk a good message of eloquence. They can talk a good message that might sound good, but it doesn't have the content of the Word of God in it. That's a cloud without water. It's disappointing. It is without the power that it ought to have because the message is faulty. And so it is. One by one on those passages, I've asked you to appreciate then that when there's preaching without the gospel, that's like a cloud without water. It doesn't have in it the thing most needed for the souls of men and women. It doesn't have the power needed because only the gospel can provide the message to save the souls from sin. As far as a cloud without water, we've looked then at five lessons so far. Lesson number six, what else about rain? This time, we're going to revisit the Old Testament. And in particular, Leviticus 26. It is the case in the midst of that chapter, and may I again remind you of at least part of what its context was. The book of Leviticus was, of course, a descriptive writing during that period of time in which the children of Israel were moving toward the land of Canaan. They had left Egypt. They were traveling through the wilderness, headed to the land of Canaan. And in that book of Leviticus, God, in fact, revealed through Moses and through Aaron a number of truths which would be greatly beneficial to the people. Among the things of that chapter, if I may paraphrase a part of it, God said, if you will be faithful to me and serve me, here are some blessings that you will enjoy. But on the other hand, if you choose to disobey me, if you choose to rebel against me, if you choose, in fact, to fail in service to me, then here are some curses that you will also experience. And He left the choice to them. If you serve me, here's what you'll enjoy, and that included rain. But if you do not, here are some of the things I will withhold from you. And one of them was rain. When the children of Israel suffered without rain, it was their own doing. It was their disobedience that caused it. I've asked you to appreciate particularly Leviticus 26.4. God there particularly said, you will have drought if you disobey me. You will have epidemic associated with lack of rain if you disobey me. Well, you and I turn the page and come to passages like 1 Kings 8. And there even Solomon, as he prayed unto God, he was mindful of the fact that what that people would experience if they became unfaithful and one of them was lack of rainfall. Today... Are there lessons in that for you and me? Are there matters for our reflection? 
when there's a famine in your life or mine, could it be that you and I have chosen to follow a pathway that has led itself to be a famine, not just of water, but of those things attached to the Word of God? It's still true, isn't it, that the worst of all kinds of famine is not a famine merely attached to rain or food in particular, but a famine of the Word of God, Amos 8, 11. Isn't it so, then, that your life and mine can reveal much to us when we are frenetic and chaotic, when we do not enjoy a peacefulness in life, Is it not true that we have allowed a terror, a tempest, if you please, to blow severely in our life, and the calming storms of a gentle rain from Jesus are not to be found? We can bring that on ourselves easily, can't we? As you and I close that slide, I would say that God does bring the rain on the just and the unjust. Jesus said that in Matthew 5.45. But it still is true from those Old Testament passages that there is much to be appreciated about lack of those physical blessings like rain. Maybe it is in light of all of that that the seventh and final lesson is this one. The most important rainfall of all I saved to last. It was the lesson text. Greg read it just a minute ago from Hosea chapter 10. May I read it again? Hosea chapter 10, verse number 12 reads like this. The prophet Hosea, in such a beautiful but yet powerful way, said, Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground. It is time to seek the Lord, till He come and rain righteousness upon you. The sweetest rainfall of all is when God reigns righteousness. And of course, as you and I follow Him and obey Him, and we serve Him with diligence, He will reign righteousness upon us. That was the promise through Hosea. And it's the promise echoed in so many ways in other passages in the Word of God. The most important rainfall is not those literal water drops that come from heaven, as needful as they are. But it is that rainfall of righteousness. Are you and I enjoying that rainfall? Is our life a constant testimony to it? It might well be that as you contemplate that and I do the same, maybe we struggle because we come to realize that my life is not a rainfall of righteousness. Are you living a hypocritical life tonight? Are you living a life, in fact, that is really not what the Lord wants you to? Because you're rather said in some other ways. If that be the case in your life tonight, think about rainfall, would you? Our marquee, Denise and I noticed as, as we have the last couple of weeks, isn't it a reminder? Isn't it something to think about? If Jesus was as committed to you and I as we are to Him, what would that say? And yet, the rainfall is a constant, isn't it? You and I have lived the decades we have on earth, and we've enjoyed the rainfall from heaven how many times? God is faithful to provide it, and it's a testimony and a witness to Him. 
might you and I be as faithful to Him in that regard as He has been to us? Let's close the lesson like this. Seven lessons touching rainfall. We began with its necessity. We highlighted that God provided and that He controls it. But rather quickly gave our attention to appreciating its reality in these other lessons. As in Leviticus, wherein God there withheld it due to their disobedience. The lesson from that is evident, isn't it? And lastly, the blessed rainfall of righteousness. This evening, if there's anyone in this audience that would need to make a public response to the gospel, let the rain be an encouragement. As you do that, He will rain righteousness in your life. You can be a powerful influence for Him. And even better than that, you can look forward to living with Him forever. If we could be of help this evening, we want you to know the invitation is His. He implores you to come. He invites you to come. If we could be of help to you tonight, perhaps as a wayward child of God, you need to come back to your first love. You need to again let righteousness reign in your heart. The Lord can and will do it if you'll let Him. That kind of rainfall brings us to this, though. If you've never become a Christian, if you've never enjoyed that rainfall of righteousness, tonight's the night. The baptismal waters behind me are ready. How convenient you could be baptized into Christ in a matter of minutes. Believe in Jesus, repent of your sins, confess His name, and be baptized. And if we can assist you in that way tonight, what a joyous evening it'll be as you depart this building saved. Your name in the book of life. Righteousness reigning in your heart. And if we could help you accomplish all of that through the power of the Great One, we'd love to do that while together we stand and sing.